Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Be Unbound podcast. I'm Ben, and once again, just like last week, we've got that power triangle. It's Ben, it's Jonathan, it's Victoria. We're back once again to talk about um, a really interesting subject, a subject we're all passionate about, a subject that Jonathan in particular is very passionate about. So I mean, I'm looking forward to hearing from him um, on this podcast as well. But if you read the title of this podcast, it's something like preparing for life instead of for the classroom. Um, and this is really, th- this is part of the thesis behind Unbound and behind our philosophy of education. It's the idea that if you go to college, you should leave college better prepared to handle life. So I think just to get started with that, and actually before I do, I already forgot to even plug my own thing. So go to beunbound.us slash navigate, sign up for a free four-part video series. And at the time that you guys are hearing this podcast, enrollment is closing very soon, and we're offering a 50% discount. This is likely the lowest price that you'll ever see for Navigate. So if it's something that sounds remotely interesting to you, it will really help you make better decisions, um, really with any type of decision in life. It just gives you principles. It gives you models, gives you ideas, thoughts, and you get to interact with students. You get to interact with Jonathan live. It's a great course, um, and the pilot students loved it. So visit beunbound.us slash navigate to learn more about it um, and to enroll before the deadline on March 14th. So just keep that in mind while you're listening. But now let's actually get into it. I was a little bit too excited, actually, about the topic to remember to do the promo. But um I think let's just start with a little bit of context and with a with kind of a broad question, which is really just it's a pretty simple question. Is our current system of higher education actually preparing students for life? And do you want either of us to jump in or are you going to actually stop us from talking or just let us go forever? So. (laughs) um well i will let you go upwards of 30 minutes at a time and then at some point we'll just end this podcast yeah this is this is going to be our foray into long form podcasting so really excited this is a filibuster on education (laughs) yeah well there's a question here is education preparing students for the future and you know this is one of those complicated questions that the answer is a little bit of both right so certainly there's there's fine educational institutions uh doing absolutely phenomenal work uh teaching people how to do things that are really complicated and if you need any sort of uh evidence for that uh, as we're recording this it was uh, last week that the mars uh rover landed uh perseverance and look you know people came out of some significant education processes through really great universities that learned to do that. And, and the, the science and the engineering and the math involved in doing what happened when the rover landed successfully on Mars is pretty breathtaking. And uh, so those institutions are certainly preparing students for the future. And so, you know, let's, let's definitely acknowledge that. Uh, at the same time, uh, we have some pretty strong opinions here, and I particularly have some strong opinions that higher education is not optimized to prepare most people for the future. And I think that that's really the critical piece here. Uh, Higher education works best when it is training a smaller segment of the population and specialized things that only higher education can do. Um, And so things like the kind of engineering that's uh, required to put a rover on Mars, uh, things like really advanced medical uh, techniques and things of that nature. As I tell people, we do remote 
online learning, and we're big proponents of that. But if you're going to be a brain surgeon, I don't want you to do remote online learning, especially if there's any possibility you're going to saw my head open and poke around, right? You're like, I want you to be in a lab with the best professors possible, asking questions and getting answers right there. Um, and so there's, there's always going to be a need for higher education to prepare students for the future in these really sort of advanced, specific places. And in that cases, in those cases, you know, higher education does a phenomenal job teaching people things in a life that's very complicated and has a lot of complexity. However, the, the bigger question here for me is what about people that aren't in that smaller subset uh, that are going to really specialized fields? Does higher education prepare them? And my answer is pretty much a resounding no. Higher education not only does not do that, it was never designed to do that. So we're asking it to do something that it was not optimized for. And the kind of pace of change that's happening in our society right now far outpaces higher education's ability to keep up and to effectively train students. So a little bit of both, but for the majority of people, I think there's a pretty, pretty significant no there. I'll just add to that too. Um echo everything Jonathan said. Um, there are some interesting assumptions, culturally speaking, that college does prepare us for life. Um, there are some things too that are are outdated, you know, maybe maybe 60 years ago, college looked very, very different, right? There were, there were different things that it equipped people to do. Um, we see it now as a golden ticket or assume that it'll be our golden ticket to the life we want. Uh, if that's the American dream, a lot of people are, are thinking that's going to be there, you know, their open door to get them there. Um, and that's just not true anymore. You know, maybe it used to be the case. It's not the case anymore today. And there are people um, who are are trained and are prepared and equipped in higher education. But typically speaking, the people who higher education prepares for life are people who have added something to the process and um, and have done things a little bit differently. And so that's part of what we're going to talk about today. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I might even be less forgiving than Jonathan in the sense that I think the answer to the question is a resounding no. And maybe that part of that is just because I work in a marketing field. And anytime, like my a good example, I didn't actually get a degree in marketing. My brother did. And I just remember he would read those textbooks and say, Do you, can you believe like what they're recommending that you look into? It's like, check out the Google. Like literally there's just stuff in there that seems so outdated, especially. And I think that's that key point, at least in my mind, is just the rate of change that the world is experiencing now means that the, the way that the system of education is currently set up, it's very difficult for it to keep up. In fact, I don't remember the exact statistic or the exact study, but I remember hearing at one point that essentially that by the time that by the time someone is a senior in college, the things that they learned as a freshman were actually outdated. Like that's how quickly things are changing. And so that just that kind of stuff just blows my mind. But I think, you know, just as a little a little tip for you guys, if you're reading a book on marketing and they say www dot it's outdated. You should probably put that book down and actually open up a laptop and figure out how to do some marketing. So, um, so with that as context, um, thinking about preparing for life, then actually, when a student is considering their education, it doesn't mean don't go to college. As I mean, for most students, they should still go to college. Just like we talked about last week, was all about you know picking your major. Um, but when a student is thinking about preparing for life, maybe they're going to a traditional institution, maybe they're going through us, but what should a student be thinking about in order to prepare for life? Well, I think we're going to get to this a little bit later in the podcast in terms of how do we get here. But one place, one thing that's important to understand about being here 
and and I I say this a lot, and I think people realize a little bit more. Some people understand it instinctively, but people don't necessarily understand uh, the kind of this uh, deep level, and it's it's kind of important. Uh, it's important to acknowledge that in a very short amount of time, uh, basically a little less than twenty five years, the actual value of knowledge has changed substantially, fundamentally, foundationally in a way that has never really changed before. And, and that's, that's the critical thing to know, right? So that the value of education in the past was the thought that somebody would have so much knowledge in their brain that they would be able to access it and apply it quickly. And that efficiency in accessing and applying that knowledge was extremely valuable, particularly in certain fields. And that's why college graduates were so, um, so valued, right? And the reason for that was that the, the cost of getting new information was very high. So just, just think about this for a second, right? Like when I was in high school, if I wanted to learn about a new subject, I, you know, I'd look, do we have a book in our house about it? And if not, I would have to drive to the library, pull the card catalog, find the card from the card catalog, find the book, look it up in the book, read that book, take notes or memorize the information in that book because I'd have to return it to the library, right? And then if I needed it again, the best way to do that is if I could remember it. Otherwise, I'd have to go through that entire laborious process again to access that information. And so what was knowledge and education about? Knowledge and education was all about, you know, putting as much information in your brain so you could access it quickly. Now, now anybody's listening to this knows that that is just fundamentally not true anymore. I, I mean, if you have a question about anything, what are you going to do? You're going to Google it, right? You have access to literally the entire world's knowledge at your fingertips. So, so the ability to get information is much easier, infinitesimally uh, cheaper and faster. Uh, it's, it's instant, right? And it's free in, in, in many ways. And so then that's, that brings us then to this really important question. What is, what is it you need to know? Well, now you need to know less about answers and more about how to ask good questions. Because, you know, if you haven't noticed, there's a bunch of stuff in the internet and not all of it's completely accurate or, most, or useful. So, so there's two skills that are really essential. When people think about academics, they're still thinking about stuff in your brain full of stuff, right? And there's certain things you need to know and you need to understand uh, to be able to filter out everything else. But the two critical things you need to know is you need to have the academic skill of being able to quickly and effectively master complicated information because the change of the, the rapid technological advance means that change happens quickly. So you need to figure out new things quickly. And you have to be able to ask really great questions and be able to discern which answers make sense because you're going to have access to the knowledge. It's sorting through all the knowledge and finding the knowledge that's most useful and is actually true and correct and applicable to what you're doing. So what do students need to know now? They need to know how to quickly and effectively master complicated information. Simply put, they need to know how to learn and they need to be able to think critically by asking great questions and evaluating the answers they get. If you can do those things, then you can take advantage of this you know, jet stream of knowledge is pouring over us. If you don't, you're gonna get blown away by the jet stream. You're not gonna be able to use it effectively. Yeah. And one skill, just tagging off of what you just said, Jonathan, um, I might add to that is the ability to identify what you need to know. Um, you have to be able to learn it. Um, in order to learn, you have to be able to figure out what on earth you need to know in the first place. Um, and that's a, a core skill in today's world, especially as things change so fast, to be able to look at something and, you know, critically examine it and out, analyze that and figure out what do I even need to figure out in the first place and then be able to go do that. Yep. 
I think that's definitely been true for me. It's like that, that's like that old Donald Rumsfeld quote, which I'm sure I'm about to butcher, but it's something like there's the known knowns and then there's the known unknowns and then there's the unknown unknowns. And so putting yourself asking questions is a way to discover those unknown unknowns where you say, okay, what's like, I don't even know what I don't know. And so how do I, how do I at least discover like, okay, clearly I need knowledge in this area in order to be good at X, Y, Z or whatever it is I have, say I have a goal or I have a place I want to be in my life. What's well, like, well, then how do I find out what I need to know and then learn those things? So it's this entire process. And the only way that you can get there is by asking those questions, just like you're talking about. So I think when we're talking about just like the academic system, I think it's, um, you know, um, uh, it, uh, people have varying opinions. Some people are, you know, way on the on the more cynical side, you know, of just sort of like it's just this system. It's incredibly expensive, et cetera. Other people view it as this really prestigious thing that they want to be a part of. It's they want to earn, you know, three PhDs and et cetera and be a tenured professor. And so there's this kind of two ends of the spectrum. But the, regardless, I'm just kind of and especially from you, Jonathan, just because like Victoria and I, you know, we were we're fairly uh, fairly young. Uh, I don't. I, I'm making a point out of this one. Probably doesn't need to be made a point out of. But from your perspective and with all of your experience in higher education, um, how did we get here? How did we get here with this uh, academic structure that we have? Yeah, I, I don't mind acknowledging the fact that uh, I was working in higher education where you were still didn't know what work was all about. So I, I have very few things that I can hold over people as smart as better Victoria. And so I, Ben, when you bring that stuff up, I don't mind that at all. So go ahead and point those out whenever you get, get a chance. Cause that's probably the, one of the few things I can kind of rely on here. So, so, you know, a quick history lesson, we don't have to be exhaustive about this, but, you know, keep in mind, first of all, that higher education for the vast majority of the time that higher education was around was for a very narrow subset of people. Um, it was for people that were exceptionally intelligent, um, often exceptionally privileged too. So, you know, we, you know, in terms of having access to it, but the point was it was for specialized academic training in the fields that really needed that kind of specialized training, medicine, law, uh, early on ministry, those kinds of things. Um, and it remained that way in, in for a long time. And so the supply of people that had those degrees were very low. And then of course, of course, you know, Ben, you're an economics major, then the value of those things went up. Um, now, one of the big changes happens that after World War II, a grateful nation uh, instituted the GI Bill, and you can have a whole separate conversation about whether that was a good or bad idea, uh, but there was all of a sudden a flood of uh, new people that previously had not had access to higher education who now had access to higher education. Well, of course, as that flood went in, then that's people noticed and said, well, those people had a better option than other people. And so then they wanted more of the same. Well, in a democracy, when people are more of the same and the government starts to get used to handing out money, they start doing it again. And so things like need-based Pell Grants and government subsidized loans and stuff came. And so you had kind of an interesting entrance of the government into the market, which really shifted the values around, right? And it made it accessible to a lot more people at the cost of a lot of debt, both on a government level and on a personal level. But as that happened, more and more people had it. Well, as more and more people had it, then more and more people needed it. And so that way, you know, now lots of people have it. So in order to be competitive, you have to do this. And of course, there's lots of advantages that higher education gives to people. And so as people recognize those advantages, then we have this mantra, everybody needs to get into higher education. So that's how we kind of got here. And so now we have this higher education system that has a huge supply, right? And so the value, of course, of the degree has decreased even while the cost of the degree has grown exponentially. And so you have this strange dichotomy here where it now costs a lot, particularly in debt, 
uh, but the actual value is low because so many people have it. But there's something else that happened that's a little more subtle that's maybe important to pay attention to here. You know, in, in a, an old sort of feudal agricultural system, right, there's lots of laborers. There's lots of people that just provide strength, right? And then there was the craftsmen. There was the people that sort of stepped up and they were able to do the specialized work, the carpenters, the stonemasons, the millwrights, those kinds of people, right? And so they kind of moved up that, that thing. That kind of used to be what happened before. We became a country, we had a lot of carpenters and millwrights. Everybody kind of stepped up, right? There's lots of craftsmen and you needed specific hands-on training to do those kinds of things. And then there were people that kind of jumped into higher education and they were able to do the more specialized stuff. Well, then technology meant that we had more of a knowledge economy. So all of a sudden, everybody kind of moved up. You needed a higher education to move into this knowledge economy where everybody had to kind of understand technology and be able to do that. But now it's shifted again where there's much more specialization in the knowledge economy. And that's actually causing a reversal in some ways, right? Because it used to be, it'd be ridiculous to go to college to be a carpenter, right? You had to actually do hands-on stuff to be a carpenter. You'd only go to college to do sort of academic type things. Well, then everybody went to college because it was just the knowledge economy. But now the knowledge economy has definite specifications and specialties in it. And so now, you know, you have to do certain things. So I would say that it's almost as ridiculous now to say you should go to college to be a marketer. No, you should actually do marketing. Just like you should apprentice with a carpenter to be a carpenter. You should apprentice with a marketer to be a marketer. You should apprentice with a coder to be a coder. In other words, the, the knowledge economy now has specializations that look a lot more the, like the kind of trade skills that you used to know before. And consequently, higher education is not well equipped to sort of prepare people for those kinds of careers. And so we're having a bit of a, almost a historical cycle that's happened here. And I think people are just now starting to sort of realize that. And that does fundamentally change the value of a degree and how we should view higher education. I don't know if that was close to 30 minutes, but I'm, getting, I'm, I'm working my way up. You know, the first thing was shorter, and now we're kind of coming up the scale, man. I feel like I need to start uh, introducing legislative language to do the trade-off, you know, does it, do you yield the floor and all that stuff? You know, it's like a real, exactly. yeah. Victoria's going to be over there saying, does the speaker yield? Please will the speaker yield. <laughs> exactly. Um, and I think too, like, so you talk about a lot of people are like, all right, is a bachelor's degree really worth it? Is it really what I need? Is it what's going to make me successful? Do I need experience? Then there's that next step that a lot of people think about as well, which is grad school. And I know, Victoria, you actually have a graduate degree. And so, you know, I'm kind of curious just to hear your perspective on, uh, you know, what was that like? Um, for you and how did that inform sort of your opinion about higher education? Yeah, that's a great question, Ben. Um, I'll, I'll just lead with the fact that, you know, obviously this is my own personal experience. Um, I think graduate school is incredibly valuable and, and there are, <laughs> there are a lot of reasons I think that. Um, so I actually, uh, I graduated uh, with a graduate certificate in ethnomusicology from Liberty University. I also uh, started a graduate degree, a full master's degree in theology um, in apologetics. So kind of the background there. Um, and I actually ended up holding off. I haven't finished the graduate degree in apologetics yet um, for a number of reasons, kind of to get into some of that here. Um, but... For many people, graduate school is that next step where you specialize, where you go deep. Um, and there are places where it can be very practical. You're doing, you know, so many hundreds of hours of, of you know, practicum work or you're working with, you know, somebody else who is an expert in that field. So there is there is, you know, a practical aspect to that, depending on the field you're going into. 
Um, but I know I was kind of surprised to to note that in my experiences um, in music and, and in theology, um, it was a lot less uh, practical than I was expecting it to be. Um, I learned to read hundreds of pages of research articles and how to translate scholarly words into something that I could actually understand, uh, then learned how to plow through and just produce 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 word essays every week, uh, learned how to speak academic language and sound very, very smart. Um, but I didn't get to ground all of that in work that actually made a difference. I wasn't actually going out and having theological discussions with people. I was just writing about it on a page. Um, and I was doing kind of the same thing with music. I wasn't actually going out and doing these different things in music or learning to play these instruments or whatever. It was very much um, theoretical. And so, you know, obviously that can differ depending on your field. Um, but I would say, especially, you know, if you're contemplating grad school, make sure that what you're focusing on um, does include that practical project-based aspect as well, because that is where it's going to be a difference. So, you know, depending on what you're doing, you absolutely will need the academic preparation. And, and they are great skills to have, right? I appreciate knowing how to write a 4,000 word essay every week and read articles, um, but it's not really something I use on a daily basis. So um, I know just kind of going back into it, particularly with the amount of money and time it costs, you know, just making sure that um, your graduate degree is grounded in the practical application as much as it is going to be in the academic um, before you get started. So I don't know, those are just kind of some personal perspectives on that. Absolutely. And then Jonathan, from your experience, I guess, do you have uh, any, like in terms of graduate school, do you have a, a take on it or you have strong opinions or not? Well, I think it comes back to what we talked about earlier that, you know, that there are certain kinds of specialized education where graduate school is not only useful, it's required. You know, I mean, if, if you're going to be a medical doctor, <laughs> graduate level work is, is required. Um, there's some there's some really deep science that took place to launch the Mars rover. And, and there's other, all kinds of other places of science that we got and graduate work there is very much required. And, and this is important to say, you know, like when we're being critical of higher education here. Uh, there are aspects of higher education that are intensely uh, valuable and essential to a society. And, and I think at the graduate level, that shows up a lot. Um, one thing, though, that I bemoan is that th there is so many, so much emphasis now on the arms race goes the other direction, right? Everybody has a bachelor's degree, so everybody should now, now the next thing to do is to get a master's degree. And so there's a creation of a bunch of master's degrees that don't mean a lot and have very little value, right? And so my, my caution is, Make sure that, that, first of all, you need the master's degree and then get a master's degree in a place where it's worth it. Now, that's not always directly professional. Victoria just talked about a master's degree that, you know, isn't necessarily tied to a lot of professions, but has immense value in her life and her ability and her thinking ability and her academic work and her ability to process information, all of which, by the way, she does use professionally. But a lot of that is just deep personal development, right? And if you have an opportunity to do that, that's fantastic. That's one of the exciting times, things about living in a time like this. You can increase your knowledge that way. So, you know, not, not all education has to be exactly professionally connected, but then there are things like graduate degrees in medicine and science and, and those kinds of things. And those are really, really important. And if you're interested in that kind of field, then, you know, also this is a great time to be alive. There's, there's phenomenal opportunities in those places and, and great things to learn there. So, but uh, but my caution is, you know, don't just get a master's degree because it's like everybody's a bachelor's degree. I should have a master's degree. So I got a master's degree in, um, you know, I see this mostly as an MBA. 
you know, I want to do business. Everybody has a bachelor's degree, so I'm going to race through undergraduate and then I'm going to go get an MBA. I, I think that's useless. I mean, not that an MBA is useless, but an MBA is very specialized and only is necessary in a few very small sectors. Um, you know, if you want to work in a big Fortune 500 company and you have a really strict path and you've got some experience, an MBA can be helpful. But if you just want to go into business, an MBA is a waste of your time. And, and so that that's the kind of thing that you should keep an eye out for. Absolutely. Off of that, Jonathan, I'll add one, one last thought. Um, and this is kind of my own personal soapbox as well. Um, but just, you know, making sure as you're contemplating if that degree is actually going to prepare you for life. And you talked about an MBA, um, making sure that you really take into account the financial aspect as well and the impact that will have on your future life. We're talking here a lot about practical education and practical preparing for real life. Um, but that is just a, a related aspect as well. Preparing for adult life is making sure you're not shooting yourself in the foot by, you know, focusing on something that isn't ultimately going to have a return for you later. Yeah. And that's actually exactly what it was interesting. So my dad got his bachelor's in physics and he was considering going into graduate school to continue to study physics. And he had this one of his professors and, and essentially what his professor was trying to show him was the opportunity cost of going to grad school, which is exactly what you're just describing, Victoria. It's like, is this something that you really want or need? Or, you know, if it's something you really want to study, that's awesome. But it's like really understanding the, even the cost of that decision. And so he literally just drew him a graph on the chalkboard of it's like if you if you graduate college right now and get a job and start working your way up, you'll get to this level level of income in a few years. He's like, if you stay in grad school, you're going to you know, the opportunity cost of that is that time you're not spending in the workforce more than likely. And then it will take you decades and decades if to reach the same level of income, if not ever actually reaching that level of income. And so I think in that sense, that was for my dad, that was like his decision in the sense that he was like, all right, well, I really love studying physics and I'm good at it. And it's something I'm interested in, but it's not that important to me. I would rather graduate college and go into the workforce now. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's also nothing wrong with going to grad school, just understanding what the cost of that decision is and what, and so, you know, it's also important to consider not just the expense of actually getting the degree, but also the opportunity cost of getting a graduate degree. So that was something that is kind of, it was something, a helpful thing that I kept in mind while I was in school as well. But I think as well, so let's say there's a student, maybe they're in college, they just graduated, they're looking at college, um, at different college options. Maybe they're considering us and you should go to bnbound.us to learn more about our college programs, especially at Slash Ascend, where there's a really neat college program that has all kinds of things that can help you learn about life while you're in there. But let's say there's a student out there, maybe they're listening to this podcast for whatever reason. What are some things that they should be doing and thinking about to prepare themselves for life? What style of education actually allows for that? You know, there used to be a joke that we'd have in higher education and it has this, and like many jokes, it has it has these really sort of strong roots in, in reality. And uh, the joke goes like this, um, you know, the A students, they go on to work in higher education. Like they become teachers, right? Uh, the B students go into middle management and they become good at certain things. Uh, the C students are the people the B students work for. And, and, I, and, and then the people who went to high school are all independent operators. And, and, and so there's, there's something important to kind of think about there. And, and it's, it's kind of a joke, but the longer I've been in higher education, the more there's a lot of truth there that's really important for people to grasp. And so first of all, it blows up a common myth. The common myth is, the better I do academically, the better my life is going to be, the better my outcomes are going to be. 
And so there's something that's really important here. A students uh, typically do go on to work in education, right? Because they're really good at education stuff. B students often have the biggest problem because they're not quite enough to be interested in education, but they're committed enough. And so they do wind up in sort of middle management type, you know, maybe professional type positions, stuff like that. The C students typically were like, I don't care about this academic stuff. And they had really high emotional intelligence. Um, and they were often people in colleges that were on sports teams and leaders and, and all those kinds of things. And yes, they are the one, they're the ones that end up climbing the ladder quickly because of their emotional intelligence skills. And they end up do employing a lot of those B students. And yeah, some of the high school people end up being trades folks that they end up being independent welders and making more than anybody else. Right? You know, I mean, not always. I mean, and, and there's always exceptions to that. Now, sort of, first of all, use that to blow up the myth that, you know, you have to have a great um, set of grades in order to be successful. And then let's set that aside and think about that in terms of not so much the GPA, but like categorizing sort of success in, in our lives right now. Right. So so one of the questions you can ask is, you know, like the A students, and this isn't related to GPA. But, you know, are you the kind of student that wants the kind of success that comes from academia? And if so, then you should go to a really great college. Um, you know, we have a bias here. I'd say you should go to a really great Christian college, and there's lots of them out there, right? Um, and then you should consider going on and getting a great a graduate degree and all those kinds of things, right? That's, that's the way to go. And, and that's pretty irreplaceable for the highest end quality of education. But we want to point out that that's only one way to be successful. Uh, I would argue that there's another way to be successful today, and that way is built on what I just said about, you know, the knowledge um, economy now specializing and all those kinds of things. And that is to be more like a C student, you know, again, not GPA related. And that would be, you know, prepare yourself by learning these core academic skills of, of being able to learn quickly and effectively mastering complicated information, of asking great questions. And then more than anything else, start working as early as possible, getting real life experience, doing real life stuff. And, and I think that for most people, that adds a faster, better track to success. Now, you know, combined with a degree, and of course, as Ben just noted, we've got a way to do that through our programs, um, combined with some higher education if necessary, but stop thinking about the degree as the golden ticket, which Victoria talked about, and start thinking instead about the fact that what's really going to be important here is your skill and your experience. And if you spend your time focusing on those things, it's going to have a much better payoff than if you just concentrate on grades and go into college without any real clear idea of what you want to do with it. Again, if you're academic minded, go ahead and do that. But if you're not sure or you're not real interested in those kinds of deep academia stuff, I think you can have a lot better opportunities if you just get out there and start doing real stuff and getting real experience and building real skill. I might just add to that. Um, there's some really interesting articles, um, research studies out right now about different skills that um, that are lacking in uh, graduates and in new employees in the workforce. Um, and you know, as a student comes out of high school, we would expect them to have some of these base skills, but they're not entering colleges with the ability to write clearly. Um, they don't have critical thinking skills. Uh, they lack initiative. They're not able to work independently. Uh, they're also not great on teams. They don't have creativity. Uh, just a lot of really soft skills. Um, and the the unfortunate thing is that they're graduating college without those skills also. So, you know, they enter college without those skills. Um, and a lot of colleges talk about that <laughs> and they exit college without those same skills. And then employers still talking about that. So these are very, um, you might say basic soft skills. And yet, um, as basic as we might consider them to be, they're things that are getting overlooked in, in broad higher educational culture. And so, um, those are definitely things, you know, to be looking at as you're contemplating, 
how to prepare yourself for life. Yes, the academic side is going to be important, but <laughs> having creativity, having teamwork abilities, being able to work independently, being able to take initiative, being able to, to think critically and communicate clearly, these are all basic skills that will set you worlds apart from the competition in terms of even just entering the workforce. Absolutely. And when I think about, when I think about preparing for life or even just, you know, living, I've always championed that idea of living with a learner's mindset. And I think, and it even comes down to something as simple as like, okay, you're on a team. And after like three months of being on this team, you've realized that this thing or this way that you've been communicating has not at all been accomplishing what you thought, or nobody was thinking about it the same way that you were. And then that's going to be a learning moment. You're going to say, okay, well, so how do I actually communicate these ideas effectively? And it's really difficult to be experienced when it comes to trying to learn those things. Um, and so that's where that goes back to what Jonathan was talking about earlier with quickly, effectively mastering complicated information and then learning how to learn. So I guess like if a student is thinking about what uh, what type of education they want or what type of program they want to be in, and they are very interested in really preparing for life more than in pursuing academics specifically, um, I'm just kind of asked this question because this might be a way for a student to look for that type of program. But I, I would love to hear from just all of your experience, Jonathan, how do you teach someone to learn how to learn? So, well, we talked about like, you know, this is the, this is a key point, how to learn, how do you sort of develop that? And to some extent it is, it is developing and nurturing a um, curiosity in somebody, right? Uh, so if, if you're if you're coming at this from an educational standpoint, uh, your your main primary job here is to teach someone how to be curious. And I don't know that you actually teach that as much as you encourage it. Right. Uh, every time that somebody is curious, you know, you, your student, your child is curious about something, encourage and nurture that um, and feed that. But feed that in the sense of instead of giving answers, uh, teach somebody to ask questions. And maybe that's the methodology switch here. Right. Uh, you know, we have an entire education system based on everything's about the answers. And I think if you're going to teach somebody to learn, then you have to teach them that everything's about the questions. Uh, that doesn't mean there aren't answers. It just means that every answer is an opportunity to ask a deeper question and to learn more and to go deeper. And so when you think about teaching somebody, how do you encourage that? Uh, stop showing answers to them and say, hey, this is the answer. This is the answer. This is the answer. Or find the answer. Find the answer. Find the answer. Instead, teach, hey, ask the question. Ask a deeper question, go deeper. And then when you get the answer to that, use that answer to spin you up to a deeper question. And that's the kind of thing that encourages people to learn because I think we're built that way. I think we're created that way to, to have the desire to go deeper, to learn more, to get closer to the truth. And I think it's exhilarating for people, uh, no matter what your learning style, right? You might be very academic, you might be very kinesthetic, you know, maybe hands-on, uh, you may be very high emotional IQ, all of those things you know, still come with this driving appetite to learn more when, um, you know, you're, you kind of get this curiosity thing going. Awesome. Any other thoughts? You know, this podcast is about something we want to help people just generally, but we might get on a soapbox here at the end and say that one of the key characteristics about Unbound is we, we talk about ourselves as a project-based education company. And I want to just take a second and explain that a little bit, which is to say, we believe really deeply in the things that we're talking about. So Navigate is based on teaching you how to ask great questions. 
And we have everybody in the Ascend program in teams so they learn how to interact with other people. And then we put them through a leadership courses, which is all about those soft skills. This is where you can actually earn college credit uh, developing those communication and relational skills. Uh, our base camp is all about teaching people to have great time management, great task management, and great relational skills. But then we say, you know, those things don't work unless you actually use them. And so a lot of education is all about pseudo stuff, right? We're going to run a simulation. We're going to do a case study. We're going to do a, a you know, we're going to write about a project. We're going to do, but it doesn't actually happen or it's, there's a falsehood to it. And I don't mean that there's somebody trying to be, you know, lie about something. I just mean that, that it's not real, right? It's, it's, it's all sort of a game. It's, it's, it's sort of a teaching thing. And we say, no, no, actually the best way to learn this is to actually do it. So every one of our Ascend students, uh, we require them to do a real project, take an actual idea from an idea to reality. And then as they progress through the program, we have challenges for them to do real stuff. And then we ask them to take substantial leadership in, in bringing forth a real big project. And so we say projects-based education, it's all about doing real stuff, stuff that actually happens, real things. And, and we really think deeply that that's the way that you learn most effectively, period. But that's the most effective learning for most people in today's world. When you do a real project, you gain real skills and you build real experience. And then you're able to trade those skills and experience for the kind of work that allows you to have a significant impact in the world, to make a difference and to serve other people. And uh, that's the heart of what we do. And I, I say that certainly to toot our horn, right? And I definitely want you to check out Unbound and our Ascend program. But I also want to kind of shift your paradigm a little bit and think about education in those terms. Think about it in terms of what's it like to do real stuff. Now, even the very nature of our program, we do a lot of live trips, but we want you to stay local or we want you to do something real. So some of our students are traveling, okay? Traveling and being able to do a degree from everywhere, that's real stuff. That's real experience with real people and real challenges, right? Or if you stay local in the area you're in, that's the place where you have the most opportunity for real things. We're just not real excited about artificial environments. And for, for most people, a campus is a significantly artificial environment. It's a, it's a social experiment that will last four plus years that you'll never see the like of again. You'll never live in a place like that. You'll never be taken care of in a place like that. You'll never have services like that. You'll never have that kind of attitude around you again. In other words, it's a bubble existence. It doesn't actually exist in the real world. And, and we're gonna say, no, no, in a projects-based education system, you should exist in the real world. Stay in your community, stay in your local church. Uh, work in your local areas or travel and see the real world and get exposed to other cultures and other places. Uh, do that while doing real things and mastering the skill of being able to learn. And the end result of that is a significantly better prepared person. In fact, we'll say that you're better prepared for real life like special forces troops are better prepared for military life. Uh, that's what we think this kind of project-based education can do. So again, definitely check out Ascend, but if nothing else, let us shift your paradigm what education is about. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, I think, too, just as a, something to keep in mind, you can visit, obviously, you can visit bnbound.us slash ascend. You can read about our college program there. There's a ton of resources and different videos to kind of give you a taste of how the program works, what the style of education is. But at the end of the day, if you have some questions, there's a link on that page, too, where you can just schedule an appointment and talk to somebody at our business. And if you have specific questions about our program, how it would work in your life, just schedule an appointment. You know, there's no there's no pressure. There's no decision required. You just talk to us and find out and learn a little bit more if you have specific questions. So if any of this sounded interesting to you, I highly encourage you guys to uh, visit that link and check it out. And then also, just as I mentioned at the beginning of 
this podcast. You can visit beunbound.us slash navigate to learn more about that course, uh, to get a free four-part video series, and if you're an Unbound student, to get 50% off the regular price. So um, thank you, Jonathan and Victoria, for joining us uh, for this podcast, and we will catch you guys next week.